In our latest edition of Julius Bear's True Connections podcast, Callum Brewster speaks with Marcel Speller, founder and chairman of Brevio, about her journey into philanthropy and the challenges charities face in securing grants. Hi, Marcel. Really nice to speak to you. Marcel, before we get on to what you're doing today with your business and some of the philanthropy work you're doing, I thought it'd be really nice if our listeners were to hear a little bit about your background and how your entrepreneurial career has developed. Certainly. Hi, Callum. Good to be speaking to you today. Well, I guess my entrepreneurial history started back in 1990, end of 95, beginning of 96, when my now ex-husband and I had bought a place in Ireland and we wanted to rent it out. And we did an ad in the Sunday Times and it cost a lot of money and nothing happened. And we thought, oh, this internet thing, it could be quite interesting because it's, you know, you can have pictures and you can have the whole world. And so we put our apartment on CompuServe and our first booking was from Ypsilanti, Illinois, which was pretty cool. And that gave us the idea to set up HolidayRentals.com, which was the first one in Europe. I think there was one in, in the States on vacation rentals beforehand, but we were the first in Europe. And... Yeah, one of those sort of overnight sensations that took nine years of <laughs> working 24-7. But it was a fascinating experience and very much at the beginning of the internet. And it grew and we learned a great deal. We were one of the first people to hear about the long tail and how we could get people onto the site. And then in 2005, we got a phone call from Austin, Texas, offering to buy us. So we hummed and hard for a bit and then decided that we would sell. And that was in, what, 2005? And so suddenly, you know, like a lot of your clients will be like, we suddenly had more money than we'd ever thought we would have. And I sort of wanted to do something. I wouldn't call it giving back because I don't think I took. I think, you know, the government did quite well out of holiday rentals, but all the taxes and that insurances and things we paid. But I wanted to do something worthwhile. And I had in the past done a few things where just by looking at situations and making some changes made a massive difference wasn't quite sure how to do it. So I went on something called the philanthropy workshop, which was something that I would highly recommend to anyone that's interested in developing their philanthropy. They teach you to be strategic. And everywhere we went, which was three weeks over nine months, I was impressed with local charities. Uh, They're on the ground, they know what they're doing, they know what the problems are, and they've got to hang around and see if they're effective. So I set up local giving, which is exactly for this. This was 2008, financial crisis, Online giving was just starting, but if you're small and too small to be registered, you don't get gift aid and you can't go to online platform or the other online platform. So we set up local giving, which was basically to help small local charities get online donations and also let people find a charity in their area that they wanted to support, either with their time or their money. So I set that up. Very interesting experience. I think by the time I gave it away, it was had raised over 25 million, I think. And yeah, it was a great experience. But while I was doing it, I noticed that I thought in 2008 that grants were going to go away and so charities would have to rely on online donations. And they then realized that grants weren't going to go away, but they just got more difficult and more competitive. And that's why I started looking at grants, which is what Brevier was all about, (laughs) if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. And we'll come back to the business today and how that's evolving and the challenges you face. But you said something really interesting, which other entrepreneurs have said to me, that there's the moment in their career, their life, where they want to give something back. Can you remember it was a particular moment or something that occurred that you felt, 
I'm doing this for a bigger reasons, for other reasons than just building a business and potentially selling at some point in the future? No, I think it would have actually been earlier than that. I can have it from my childhood. My mother ran a consulate, the Dutch consulate. She was Dutch and she ran the Dutch consulate in Manchester and she was always looking after people, people that had been set on hard times in Manchester who happened to be Dutch. I think that comes with childhood. I look back on times in my career. I think even when I was at university, I was just looking at, just it was the end of term, there was all this food in everyone's kitchen. I thought, well, this is a waste. So I just put a note in every kitchen and a a big cardboard box and said, anything that's non-perishable that you're not going to take home, could you put it in the box? And we actually filled two carloads full of food, which we took to the local homeless shelter. So I think it was something I'd, I'd sort of been aware of. And also when I worked for American Express, there was a telephone appeal for the floods in the Sudans. This must have been about the late 80s. And uh, I couldn't get through. And the next day, I happened to see the telephone manager of American Express. And I said, look, couldn't we answer the phones for these people because people aren't getting through? And he sort of said, well, yeah, so, okay. Two days later, we did just that. And we raised £54,000. And you sort of see an opportunity and you think, we can do better here. And in fact, I told this story somewhere up north a couple of years ago and a lady came up to me afterwards. She just retired as head of HR for American Express and they're still answering the phones for DEC when there's a disaster emergency. So I think it was something that I had all along. But also, yes, during holiday rentals, there were a few things happened. There was floods in, I think it was Boss Castle in Cornwall, and a lot of people lost their homes. So we got in touch with all the advertisers in that area who had homes, and we said, look, if your house is empty, could we make it available to people who have been made homeless by the floods? And they did that. So I think this sort of looking at the things you can do to make life better for people who aren't as well off as you are is something that I've had for quite a while. But it was only when I made enough money that I could make it a full-time thing rather than a sort of opportunistic thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, completely. Really interesting. I'm glad I asked that because and I'm sure many people that are hearing your story will say that's a number of years ago when you're thinking about homeless and food collection for those less fortunate. And that is so topical still today. And when we've seen what's happened over the last few months with COVID-19, I was discussing last week on how maybe the divide has got even wider What impact are you seeing on the back of COVID-19, particularly in that philanthropy and charity sector? What are you seeing? Well, there's so much. I think it was the Institute of Fundraising did some research back in April. I mean, there's so much going on, I can't actually keep up with it. But there was a report in April saying that 43% of charities had increased the demand for their services. They'd lost 48% of their voluntary income from major fundraising events. London Marathon isn't working. And... My dog has walked in and is about to howl. <laughs> Sorry. Oscar, I love you dearly, but can you go outside, please? Thank you. <laughs> Where were we? Yes, Institute of Fundraising. Um, they did some research in April. That 43% have got increased demand for their service. They've lost 48% of their voluntary income. If they have invested reserves, they were going to see losses there. Then they've got staff sickness and self-isolation. 83% of them in April said that they'd need emergency funding in the next three to six months. So it's dire. And there's figures coming out the whole time about the amount of money that they're going to need. And it's absolutely frightening. But on the other hand, a lot of people have stepped up to the plate. And particularly when you see how many volunteers we've had over COVID-19 globally, there's so many people that want to make a difference. But you're obviously seeing there's a disjoint between the willingness and actually turning that into something that's making a real difference. 
And that's exactly what we're trying to do, Revier. I mean, a lot of funders have, I think the latest figures from 360 giving means that £76 million have already been given by funders in the UK to COVID relief charities. But they've given 5,100 grants. But if we could go back to the grants problem, that's what I've been trying to address. And the COVID thing has made the situation worse. Well, maybe explain a little about that, Marcel, because not everyone will understand how that grant mechanism works and where the breakdown actually is. Yeah, well, basically, we did some research with the University of Bath when I was thinking of setting up Brevio, and we found out that registered charities, I not the little unregistered ones, but registered charities alone spend £1.1 billion per year for staff writing grant application forms. And that doesn't include volunteers or trustees. And 66% of those applications, they fail. So that's £700 million a year that is being wasted by charities filling in grant applications. They can have between 21 and 193 questions. A charity can apply for 22 grants per year. One of them actually went to 1,000 and it takes about 19 hours to complete each application. So what we're trying to do with Brevio is have a standardised grant application. So there's just one application form and only eligible applicants can apply to the funds. And basically then it's just one application form that the charity fills in once. The funder has one form that they say, okay, this is the organisation and this is the fund we have. And we automatically match the two. And the funders decide who they're going to fund. And we just give them a short list of these people are eligible. And then it's over to you and you make the grant. So that's what we set up. And we did a lot of work last year doing prototypes and checking it through with grant makers and with charities. And then we had a beta platform in December of last year. And the beginning of this year, we were sort of going to improve the platform and let's do a pilot. And then COVID's hit. And the reason that COVID's made it worse is that it's wonderful that there's £76 million being put in, but they've all got new application forms. So, you know, we were trying to reduce the number of application forms. And I saw a, a list on the NCVO's website, uh, it was a couple of months ago now, and they had 80 funds. And it said, okay, here are the funds that you can apply to. And then click on the link to their website, decide if you can apply, and then fill in the application form. And you've got to do that 86 times. <laughs> so that's why COVID made it worse because they weren't using standardized application form. They were doing it. And the grant makers, we were hoping that some of the big ones would come on board with Brevio, but they just were going around. They just had so much thrown at them. But all they did was go along with the same old systems and actually make it worse. And whose responsibility do you think it is then to assist that streamlining? Because obviously there's a lot of money that's being utilised in the wrong way that could be going to these good causes. And not many people understand that that is occurring. Is it the policymakers and government? Is it the charity sector itself? I think it's one of these things, I don't think anybody woke up one morning and said, let's make it difficult for grant makers, or for charities. I think it's one of these things that grew up over time. But if you think that there was a standardised grant application form for universities in 1961, which is 59 years ago, and you can't tell me that universities are any different from grant makers in terms of how different they are. But I think it just sort of went on growing. And also now we've got much better technology. The technology that we can offer is so much better. I don't think it's anybody's fault. It's certainly not the charity's fault. I think the thing is that the charities know about this waste. And when you talk to them about it, they say, yes, we knew about that. But, you know, what can we do about it? We're not going to bite the hands that feeds us. You say to the grant makers, 
well, what do you think about this 750 million that's wasted every year? And they say, yeah, we've known about this for a long time. We've been talking about this. <laughs> and you're finding this, and this is across all sectors in the charity space, so everything from large foundations all the way through to small local charities. Yeah, they all have to go through this. So, But when you speak to the public, they're actually a bit shocked by it. So what we've done is we launched Brevio, and we've already got 220 charities on board already, even though we haven't got much funding up there already. The charities really want it, and they say to us, wow, you know, this is just sensational. In fact, one of them said to us that what they want to do is every time she has to fill in a grant application form, she wants to say at the bottom that, why aren't you on Brevio? <laughs> I'm not sure that's going to happen. It's worth a try, though, isn't it? I mean, the grant makers all tell us that they think it's a good idea, but right now they're so busy. And also, we've been talking to the government, who are also very encouraging, but they don't want to take the plunge. So what I've decided to do is to say to the charities, look, you get on board, because the more of you get on board, the more power that we have to say, look, you really have to do this. And secondly, and that's why I'm talking to you guys, is to get individual philanthropists to come on board, people who sort of see what's going on there, and they want to find out, and they want to give, and they want to do it without actually necessarily having to set up a foundation, but actually say, well, actually, this is what I want to do, and make it very easy to just say, this is the organisation, this is how much money, this is what I want to support and make it very easy for them to just do it. So what advice so many of our listeners will be people who have shown interest or possibly have done in the past, been involved in philanthropy. What advice would you give someone considering it or has some knowledge but would like to do so much more? What advice would you be giving for them right now? Well, I think philanthropy, if you're clever, has got to be a mixture of emotion and data. And you've got to really work out what it is you want to change. You can't change the world, but you can identify a part of the world. And they call it a theory of change. It's the social change that you want to see in the world and what you need to do to go about it. Now, there's lots of people who can help you with this. I had it from the philanthropy workshop. They were wonderful. New Philanthropy Capital and other people. And of course, wealth managers can help in this. What I've got very excited about recently is the amount of data that is now available. And it's something that I've already been speaking of. A new philanthropy capital, MPC, have set up this amazing dashboard of data where you can literally go in and say, okay, that's the area I want to support. Maybe it's where you were born or where you're living now or where you went to school. And you can go in and say, okay, what are the issues in that area? And you can see the increase in the number of people asking for help for domestic violence has gone up since COVID. You can see that mental health problems have gone up during COVID. You can see that poverty has gone up and you can literally see what has happened in the area that you're interested in. Or you can go the other way around into the data and say, I want to do something about mental health problems here. And then you can go in and see which are the areas that need this help the most. And this is revolutionary. And we're actually talking, we're already, I was a trustee of New Philanthropy Capital, I should state my connection there. And we're going to link with them to have a webinar on how philanthropists can use this data, which we will then link into Brevio so that you say, okay, what I want to do is find a mental health charities in Manchester because there's a really big issue there. And that's the fund I'm going to put in. And that, I think, makes it so much more focused. You can never take all the emotion out of philanthropy. There is emotion in there. There has to be. But you can be so much more effective if you're looking at the data and focusing your funds on where the need is. And that's what we're doing with Brevia. And by taking that approach, it would allow that individual who's providing some investment, some funds to those charities to be, I suppose, as involved or not, depending on how they want to connect. 
absolutely. I mean, one of the joys of Brevio for the charities is that all this time that they're currently spending on writing grant applications of 66% of them fail, they can actually be building up relationships with donors if the donor wants it, which they often do, actually. There's something that you can get that's very fulfilling. There's some charities that I've supported over many years, and that relationship is very important. So yes, the charities would love to have more of a relationship, benefit from your client's knowledge or your relationship manager's knowledge in terms of maybe help them do their accounts or just talk to them. <laughs> you know, these guys are going through hell at the moment. They really are. And are you finding funders are actually looking to support more than one charity at the moment, more than one good cause, or do you find individuals have a connection with one particular need? What are you observing? I think we haven't got enough data on funders yet to give you a really sort of accurate reflection of that. There has to be some connection I mean, when you go onto Brevio, you look at, you know, there's a whole series of criteria that you fill in in terms of the type of people you want to help, you know, the age, the age group, that sort of thing, family types. There's an issue and there's a geographic area. Everybody's got a connection to something in that respect. Everybody's got either a place. I was born in Manchester and and I'm now living in Bath. And those are the two areas that I've put funds into because I've looked at what those major problems in Manchester right now. And I see the problems that there are in Bath and North East Somerset. I mean, everybody thinks that Bath is full of terribly wealthy people, but there's some areas of deprivation here that are truly frightening. And these, as you said at the beginning, Callum, these inequalities are getting bigger and bigger. We have soup kitchens in Bath. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's very interesting when you started your story and you talked about how you first got involved and, and how many things have moved forward, but so much hasn't. So if you think forward in the next five to ten years, what would your wish be when your support, you've got the grant mechanism working and therefore funds are being used in the most efficient way possible so as many causes are benefiting from that. What would you like to see over the next five to ten years? If I look back on the things that I did in the past, you know, there's food parcels when I was at university, you know, people trying to make donations to DEC and not getting through on the phone. It's almost waste that I hate. And I would like to see a situation where money is going through Brevio in the most effective way without this waste. I'm sure we've got our targets for the number of charities we'd like on board and the number of funds and the amount of funds. Of course we have. I don't think anyone can look five years ahead these days, but <laughs> I know what we're trying to do in our first year. But it's more that, that the waste has disappeared. And can you imagine what it's like just sitting there doing grant applications after grant applications and keeping getting rejected? And you don't know why you're being rejected. And you just fill in the same, you know, that's my name, that's my address, that's my charity's registration number. It is the waste, but it is also the morale of the people. Nobody goes to work with a charity or for a charity or founds a charity because they want to fill in grant application forms. They're there because they want to make life better for other people, either in their area or overseas or whatever. That's what they're there for. They don't want to fill in grant application forms. And maybe just to finish what we've gone through over the last few months, although there is so many injustices and such dividers we've touched on and so many things, good causes that can be supported, what you must be really seeing, as many of us listening, is real hope because of what we've seen reaction by so many who want to, in some ways, create a closer community than possibly we've had over the last decade. Do you have that same belief? And when you're talking to people in the charity sector, although they have challenges which we've covered today, do they foresee some real hope that the intent of the 
society and communities are more aligned possibly to try and address some of these challenges. I think I do see some hope. And I think it's also partly one of the reasons that will come from, you know, why I'm hoping to be working with your relationship managers, because I think firstly, people realise that the joy of giving is really powerful. And the fact that you know there's a need out there, but we're making it very easy to identify the need and to do something about it and to give some of your excess cash to help people who are not in the same space as you. And as you said earlier on, you can actually build up relationships with these people. And and I have to say that some of the people that I've met over the years have become dear friends. And that connection you can have with people that are doing an amazing job And probably I couldn't do that job myself. I mean, I've been working with or supporting people who do things like garden therapy for people who have got mental health problems or people helping children who have lost a parent. I couldn't do that myself. I haven't got those skills. I would just burst into tears the whole time. But the fact that I can help somebody who can do that and who does do that is hugely rewarding, hugely rewarding. I hope what I'll be able to do with Brevio is to increase that personal connection. And then you see what you've achieved and that just makes you want to do more. Michelle, it's been really lovely listening to you today and I think you've the line which sums up everything, the joy of giving. Thanks for giving some of your time this afternoon. I'm sure a number of people reach out and give back. Thank you for today. It's been enlightening and very educational and you stay healthy and I hope you enjoy taking the dog for a walk now. (laughs) He's gone to sleep now, thank goodness. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks, Marcel. That's all for this edition of Julius Baer's True Connections podcast. Thank you for listening. And please do keep in touch with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and at juliusbear.com. Mm-hmm.